0: Genesis 35, 1 to 15. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress, and he has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had, and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed a terror from God, fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz that is Bethel which is in the land of Canaan he and all the people who were with him and there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel because there God because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother and Deborah Rebekah's nurse died and she was buried under an oak below Bethel so he called its name Alon Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. And I will give the land to your offspring after you. And then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Now in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches.
1: I love the fact that we sing the great hymns of the faith. If uh, you're new today, I, I met some new folks coming through the door. Thank you for coming. We're intentional about that. It's um, a value here. Um, we esteem obviously, new songs like Not in Me and the Getty tune we sang Some people of the business team. God has given great music to his church, over the centuries. And we delight in having a mixture of that. And maybe one of our most cherished hymns is called Great is Thy Faithfulness. I was not familiar with the story behind the creation of that hymn. The songwriter is named Thomas Schism, 1866 to 1960. He wrote it as a statement and testament to God's faithfulness in his own, by his personal description, very ordinary life. He was born in a log cabin in Franklin, Kentucky. He became a Christian when he was 27 years of age and entered the ministry at age 36. But poor health prompted him to retire only one year later. During the rest of his life, he spent many years living in New Jersey and working as a life insurance agent. Even so, he wrote nearly twelve hundred poems, including several published hymns. Here's how he explained toward the end of his life. My income, this is a quote, has not been large at any time due to impaired health in the earlier years which has followed me on until now although I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God and that he has given me many wonderful displays of his providing care, for which I am filled with astonishing gratefulness. We have certainly come deep enough into our study of Genesis, the book of beginnings, that we can rightly wave a banner across its pages. Great is God's faithfulness. We come today to a section that closes out another major portion of the book. Up next, the familiar story of Joseph and his brothers, which in three of my final messages will cover. But in this three chapter survey from 34 to 36, we encounter another stunning display. Of God's amazingly faithful covenant keeping grace. Now, last week, we left off Jacob, blessings bearer, in chapter 32 and 33, coming off a high, wrestles with an angel, realizes at the end of a night long battle none other than the angel of the Lord. He prevails, gains God's blessing, reconciles with his brother Esau, who once sought to kill him. And he returns to the promised land, Canaan, after 20 challenging years in exile under If you missed that message, it's online. You can hear it. We tackled a formidable foe of the flesh, to quote from our confession today, that is self-reliance. The I got this syndrome that God will inevitably break us of. But at the end of 33, the curious development, Jacob settles in Sukkoth, outside the city of Shechem, even builds an altar there, purchases property. And that location decision set him and his household up for unmitigated disaster. I had Rob read the Old Testament reading from chapter 35, not because I'm on a ship 34. We esteem what's called expositional preaching because you must Deal with each chapter on its own merits one at a time, even something as nightmarish as 34. If you had a chance to read the tawdry, sordid affair of Judah and Tamar and the dominoes that fall from it, you know what I'm talking about. And I want to keep reminding you as we're doing a survey approach to finish up Genesis, you want to read these chapters ahead of time. It will help you a great deal, although I try to give you the essentials of the story as I preach through. If you have any moral sensibilities at all, 34 makes you gasp. The rape of Dinah? Judah's daughter, excuse me, Jacob's daughter, and the subsequent, if I should put it this way, vengeance rape of Shechem by brothers Simeon and Levi, incensed as they rightly were, this just staggers the imagination. You will not find God explicitly anywhere in those 31 verses of chapter 34. But God is everywhere to be found explicitly in chapter 35 and those 29 verses. If 34 makes the heart sink in despair at the ugliness of the human condition, then chapter 35 can make the heart soar. The hope of God is God's blessing. And remember, that word has been an important word for the entire book. We've been tracking ever since creation, Genesis 1 and 2, and the fall of man into sin, Adam and Eve in chapter 3, we've been tracking ever since chapter 12, with the call of Abraham, God's saving plan of blessing, the offspring of the woman through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed, the Messiah, given the blessings bearer number one, Abraham, a baton past, the blessing bearer number two, Isaac, and now the baton in the hand of blessings bearer number three, Jacob. And threats and enemies have abounded along the way to this plan of God and none greater than the depravity of his own people. We saw it with Abraham in Egypt, Isaac in Philistia, and now here's Jacob in Shechem. Here's my main idea for these chapters. Despite Even his people's flagrant depravity. God faithfully keeps his covenant promises of blessing. These two chapters, 34 and 35, depict the fall and the rise of Jacob, blessing's bearer. Chapter 36 you'll be thankful I did not choose Esau's genealogy for the scripture reading, I know Rob is, repeats a pattern that we have seen in Genesis that interspersed between the elect bearers of blessing, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, come shorter renditions of the non elect And that chapter about Esau and his generations sets the stage for the story of Joseph. I would have made a message somehow out of chapter 36. We have to fix our eyes on 34 and 35, given the time today. Chapter 34 shows us the way of falling. drifting from God's plan of blessing and the consequences. 35, the way of rising, returning, regaining, the way of blessing, the way of falling from blessing in our old nature, depravity, 35, the way of rising to blessing in our new nature, identity, not in me. <laughs> Thank you, Matthew, for that too. First, chapter 34, The Way of Falling. This outline is in your handout today, your program, if you care okay to follow along. It'll be on the screen. Four symptoms. I want you to do some self-diagnosis today. Which way are you moving? Four symptoms of getting away to remaining sin: this fight we confessed about that put our experience of blessing in jeopardy, at risk. One, ignoring solemn commitments. Ignoring solemn commitments. What's Jacob doing in Shechem? Remember the, the ladder vision with the angels descending and ascending, the Lord at the top, that marvelous experience that Jacob had chapters ago? He builds a stone pillar, and he renames the place Luz to Bethel, house of God. And at the end, she makes the longest vow, solemn commitment in the Old Testament. I'm going to come back and worship here. That's where he should have planted himself. He got no business in Shechem and all of its enticements with the Canaanites that lived there. God met him in Bethel, not in Shechem. Built an altar there, but that was the right thing in the wrong place. It seems his promise to God to return to Bethel long forgotten. Ecclesiastes 5 4 7 warns us this way When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. Better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. Don't protest to the temple messenger. My vow is a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. When you and I make a commitment, Jesus says in Matthew 5, I'm not going to take time to look at the passage, though I have it on the slide, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond that is evil. Your verbal commitments are solemn before a holy God. What comes out of here and you commit to? Huge. Better to keep your lips zipped and say nothing than the promise. Think wisely, be careful. I had about a dozen people coming to the house today. Jan and I are hosting from our Discover OGC class. Some of our elders' families are going to be there. They're considering covenant commitments here. And I'd rather none of them sign up than to make covenant commitments to what we being in community and membership is about, though there's, there's latitude, for station in life and issues, all sorts of things, but there are some, some expectations. There's some commitments to saying, just as there are, but, you know, sickness and health, richer and poorer, so that, that's us part. I commit. I vow to you. You can count on me. Church membership is not the same thing by any means, but it's still a solemn commitment. This man had solemn commitments. He spoke to God, and he's not keeping them. Two, another symptom, embracing worldly enticements. Look at chapter 34. Verse 1. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, remember Jacob had Rachel and Leah, Leah the unfavored one, Dinah the only daughter we know about. Everybody else's sons in the lineage of Jacob went out to see the women of the land. You know, John Piper says, read your Bible slowly. What's that all about? And hear me, what I'm about to say in no way excuses the horrific, ugly, sexual exploitation of the prince in horribly abusing you're all probably A 10 or 15. No young lady in her right mind should be out on her own consorting with Canaanites who had a horrible reputation for rampant evil and runaway wickedness. Again, I'm not making her responsible. Don't you hear that? But there's folly there. And where in the world are dad and mom? Guardians of her welfare. More on that. Of course, we don't know. I'm speculating, so I might get that. But shades of Lot in Genesis 14, making his home near Sodom. And God's people, reading this, down the road, coming into the promised land, or coming back from captivity, or God's people, you and me today, living in a city like this, would be sober somehow to think Jesus' words, be in the world, but not of it. No, separation from that psalm does not justify. I sha not appeal to anything I do. It's not in me. But be in the world, but not of it. First John 2, 15 to 17. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We're talking huge stakes here. What you love is what you worship. All that's in the world, desires of the flesh and desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father but from the world and is all passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. There's a a path. A dreadfully dangerous path, dear ones. A falling from the way of blessing, ignoring solemn commitments, embracing worldly enticements. Three, advocating family leadership. Jacob's passivity in chapter 34 defies comprehension. Along, somehow allowing his daughter, again, maybe he knew, didn't know, somehow for her to have gotten out and about, challenging enough to get your arms around, somehow he inexplicably remains silent when the report of the violation of his daughter comes to him in verse 5. And then Simeon and Levi hear about it. And they come home and hijack the negotiation with Hamer. They take charge and set up a treacherously genocidal plan of wiping out the whole town and plundering it, for which they will pay dearly in Genesis 49. But Jacob says nothing. He does not act as clan leader in servant-minded truth and love. And when he finally opens his mouth in verse 30, he protests for fear of the consequences to him and his household. And the sons get the last telling words in verse 31, a rebuke to him. Should she treat our sister like a prostitute? Of course not. Brothers. Husbands. Fathers cannot afford passivity in your household. Be no tyrant, be a servant, but step up and lead. Be a man. You're a loving leader, protector, provider. That's your job description. Husbands, 1 Peter 3, 7, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, simply a statement that you can beat her up if you want to, since they are heirs with you of the race of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Fathers, Ephesians 6, 4, don't provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. If Dinah had been Rachel's daughter, might he have reacted differently? The favored one? doesn't matter. Ignoring solemn commitments, embracing worldly enticements, advocating, family leadership and Finally, one other suppressing moral outrage, if I should put it that way. Whatever we may say about the overreaction, and it clearly was that of Simeon and Levi, they got the righteous indignation spot on. Verse seven: For such an outrage, the thing must not be done. There just, there's just isn't any of that from Jacob who is rightly referred to in this context by his old name, not his new name. But he's not fighting. Seems far more concerned about protecting peace with the Canaanites than he did for the honor, future, and welfare of his daughter and family. You see, this is what happens when we hop on the slide of worldliness. Such a slippery slope of sin that can make you become, you become anesthetized. Like, you know, it's like the neuropathy in my hand. After the chemo and now all these surgeries on the right side of my body, I, sh- I can't hardly feel anything. I drop stuff all the time. I'm numb. And you get on this slope and you start it can be really gradual at first, but you pick up speed and eventually you you numb out and you lose your sense of Romans twelve nine. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, abhor what is evil. Ignore. Commitments, embracing enticements, advocating leadership, suppressing outrage appropriately. I thought Charles Haddon Spurgeon summed up this whole thing really well before we go into the way of blessing. Good news is coming. Spurgeon wrote, the course of rebellion against God may be very gradual, but it increases in rapidity as you progress in it. And if you begin to run down the hill, the increasing impetus will send you down faster and faster to destruction. You Christians ought to watch against the beginning of worldly conformity. The beginning. I do believe that the growth of worldliness is like strife which is as the letting out of water, once you begin, there's no knowing where you'll stop. But despite his people's flavoring depravity, and know. The <laughs> best news on that is still yet to come in Genesis thirty-eight with Judah and Tamar and that another ugly sort of affair. And the turnaround in Judah we will watch happen in the text. God faithfully keeps his covenant promises of blessing. <laughs> Judah I can't resist. Judy goes off the rails. He leaves Canaan. He leaves the promised land. He marries a Canaanite. Ends up involved in temple prostitution. The family member, it's a sordid thing. And yet the transformation is so in the race of God which continues to pursue him that in the blessings of Jacob on his deathbed, Judah becomes the prince from whom the lion of kings and David comes and the son of David, the lion of Judah. From that, God's not undone. What, what is it? in your resume, the worst thing you can think of in your Christian experience, the thing you're most ashamed of, that you don't want anybody to know about, it doesn't undo God's plan. It doesn't derail his purposes and his intent for you, the adopted child, that you will never send away. It does not undo. You don't have that power. You don't have that ability. Tim Keller says, you can't muck up your life in him. He's that great, that good, that powerful, that loving, that loyal, that faithful. There's a way of rising it's in chapter 35. Four steps. Symptoms, now steps. One. If you're trying to take the heart, well, I just preach my heart out to you. You have to do number one. Claim God's glorious grace. Claim it over and over and over again. I'm leaving. Don't you dare rebrand this church with another name. I'll come back with fire and fury. <laughs> this is Orlando Faith Church. What's the difference in 35? Between 34 and what happens in Jacob? Remember I said 34, there's no sign of God. What's the first word in 35? One. God. God said to Jacob, Arise. Go up to Bethel. Asterisk, I would have put in. I wanted you to be in the first place. And dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. God, he shows up again. He appears again. He speaks again. He initiates. (laughs) Jacob keeps on stumbling. Anybody else have that testimony? God keeps on pursuing. Jacob cannot out-prodigal God. You cannot out-prodigal God. I'm borrowing from Kellogg's book, The Prodigal God. The real story of The Prodigal Son is that God is prodigal-like in dispensing his grace to depraved sinners, motley true, like you and me. He is the God of all grace. 1 Peter 5, 10. Moses received the tablets with the law and got this revelation in Exodus 34, 6 to 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, Keeping steadfast love for thousands, for hidden iniquity and transgression and sin. Griffith Thomas in his wonderful commentary on Genesis rightly calls grace the mighty miracle of the universe. Claim God's glorious grace to obey his holy word. If you're under conviction today, the spirit, however effective or ineffective, I am a vessel am today. If you're feeling the weight of the spirit to start a directional shift, a moving to the way of blessing, repent and act as fast as Jacob does here. He wastes no time. Verse 2, so Jacob said to his household, Yay! The man's leading again. He's taking responsibility for the plan. Said to the household, and to all who are with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourself, change your garments, let's clean it up wherever we have to. Do some serious repentance is the essence of the message because we're going up to Bethel where God's place is and we're going to worship. And they do. Genesis 35, 4. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in, in their ears something to do with pagan worship practices, not just a statement about piercing. Jacob hid them under the cherubim tree that was near Shechem. Burn those things as far as you can, for anybody will not be able to find them. So James says, chapter 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let the laughter be turned for mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord. He will exalt you. Faith, obedience. Three, trust God's unfailing promises. The Lord rewards Jacob's obedience. He gets divine protection along the way. Verse 5, a terror from God upon the surrounding cities. Building an altar for worship once at Bethel, God appears to him again. God keeps coming and blesses him. Look at Genesis 35, 10 to 12. God said to him, your name is Jacob. You've been acting like Jacob." But now you're back in Israel, you shall no longer be called, your name shall be Israel. So the name of Israel. Get this, this is your new identity. God said to him, I am God Almighty. Same introduction he used with Abraham back in Genesis 17. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you. Kings will be among your descendants. Those are embellishments for him. Same fundamental promises to Abraham and Isaac as blessings third bearer, but an embellishment of the promises. Nations and kings will come from you again to the Lion of Judah. The King of Kings will come from you. The Messiah, the Lion of Judah. Oh my, how far blessings bearer has come. How far you have come and will come because you have Philippians 1 6, perhaps as precious a promise every believer must cling to, confident that she who began a good work in you is not in you, she who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. I don't care how far out you've taken the tether. how close to Shechem you may have come and how much refuge has already come as a result. That tether can't be broken. Whom he loves, he disciplines. Be zealous, repent. Some of us need to do that today. Finally, again, grace, obedience, promises, never change, always faithful, for run God's appointed race. This is an interesting end to 35. all disobedience, the rewards, the promises, the encouragement, it doesn't guarantee a life free from loss and conflict. Look how this ends. Verse 8, Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, dies. Verses 16 through 20, Rachel dies in childbirth. Rachel. The love of the man's life. She buries her. Reuben, firstborn, tribes, childbearing. He up in sleep for the are you kidding me? It will cost him dearly in the blessing in chapter 49. What is reached for a father? Jacob experienced his firstborn son cohabiting with one of the slave wives. I know probably for some of you, that whole slave wives, believe me, there's lots of explanation there that I've tried to show before, but sha can't do now. Part of the culture, part of the world, the law did much to help control that, particularly for the marginalized, the oppressed, that could be oppressed. Shocking, flagrant sin. Jacob didn't say anything at that point, but he kept it in mind. He deals with it later. And then finally in verse 29, Isaac, dad dies. But he saw a joint with touch at the end. The strange brother, they buried dad together. Thomas again says, Jacob was scarcely ever out of the furnace of affliction. What's your race? You have one. It's your race. not mine. I have my race. You have your race. If you're in Jesus... Greatness is faithfulness, and his blessings are new every morning. And you can't out prodigal him. But if you're in Jesus, you will know. You will know loss. Well, it's part of the human condition. Period. But there's some horrible teaching out there that says in Jesus you're somehow exempt, and it's a life of faith if you're going through struggles and difficulties. No, you'll know loss. You'll know the furnace. running the race, hanging on, like we talked about last week. Perhaps Jacob came to grasp something of the poet in Psalm 1971, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Despite even his people's flavoring depravity, God faithfully keeps his covenant, promises a blessing. There's a way of falling. There's a way of rising. Which road are you on? In what path do you find yourself today? What direction are you heading? Where are you buying property and setting up camp? The gospel of Jesus is the place in which you must stand. Step away from the place that's too close to the world. What are the household gods? The thing you love and worship and chant you up. Bury it under the cherubim tree. Renew your commitments. Some of you need to renew some solemn commitments you've made. You've forgotten them. And build your altars, worship, prayer of the word, fellowship. And run the hard race trusting in God's promises. I thought James Boyce landed this whole section far better than I should say it. Here's where I finish. Jacob almost didn't make it. He had the seeds of failure built in he made so many mistakes in his life that he had, and if he had ended up a wretched, miserable, complaining old man, we would have said, well, that's what we would expect. It is the fruit of years of disobedience. But God is great. And by God's grace and power, Jacob made it. God pulled him back from sin, reestablished him in fellowship, and blessed his later years so that they far surpassed anything in his youth. Let God do that with you. Wherever you are, whatever your age, begin with God now and allow him to build you, build into you those experiences of his grace that will make you a source of blessing in your later years. Oh, Father, that's what we want. I pray for each and every one coming under the hearing of this word from you today. May we want that. A blessing. The best of our lives at the end of the race. In spite of our failures because you are the God of all grace. Help us. Oh, indeed as we're now about to sing what a friend we have in Jesus. All our grief and sins to bear Just to bring them to him. bury the gods. And renew afresh our commitments as disciples to follow you, that you may be glorified and we may be dispensers of blessing wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen.